Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Objective Health. So I'm going to be your host today. My name is Elliot and it's just, I'm joined with today, I'm joined with Doug. It's just Hello us two. everyone, just us two, the bro show. Yeah, this is the total bro show today. So um, <laughs> yeah, pertinent topic that we're going to be talking about actually, uh, it's the topic of soy boys. So for those who aren't familiar with the concept of a soy boy, soy boy or the idea of soy boys is basically kind of like a meme that was spread around a couple of years ago that gained some traction uh, on social media and kind of um, upset a, a couple of people, I think. <laughs> a couple. And so, <laughs> and so basically what, what soy boy is referring to is the feminization of males in our modern world and how the typical kind of image of a male or the role of a male in society has kind of changed in recent years, in, 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 in the past couple of decades. Well, for one, we see that testosterone levels have declined significantly, and we're going to be talking about this a little bit later. But the, the concept of a soy boy is, is essentially the um, conglomeration of all of these feminizing factors to produce what appears to be a male, but is not strictly male in the genuine sense, if that kind of makes sense. So according to the, uh, the Urban Dictionary, we have a very good definition, actually. And so this is, soy boy is slang used to describe males who completely and utterly lack all necessary masculine qual qualities. <laughs> This pathetic state is usually achieved by an overindulgence of emasculating products and or ideologies. The origin of the term derives from the negative effects of soy, soy consumption has been proven to have on the male physique, physique and libido. The average soy boy is a feminist, non-athletic, has never been in a fight, will probably marry the first girl that has sex with him and likely reduces all his arguments to labeling the opposition as Nazis. And we see this today. Isn't this quite familiar, Doug? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, it, I, I, it's, it's basically what kind of right-wingers started calling um, SJW men, basically. Like saying that, you know, the male feminist is kind of the, the typical kind of soy boy. The idea that, you know, he's not really acting like a man and basically being subservient and, you know, the yes, dear kind of person or, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's kind of like, in a way, it is just a meme, right? It's just, it, there's a stereotype. But the thing is, there's no question that there's some validity to it, I'd say, because there's, there's certainly this, this type of person exists and seems to be becoming more prevalent too. Yeah, indeed. And and this is really what we're going to try to flesh out a little bit on the show. Um, hopefully, if we can kind of, because it's kind of whipped up a lot of feathers. Uh, people have kind of, there's been some backlash and people have cited evidence saying, no, soy, soy consumption for one, soy consumption is in no way implicated in the decline in testosterone levels, even though we know that that's happened. But Soy is not involved, and all of these other factors um, are merely coincidental. Uh, 
And so what we're going to look at today is we're going to briefly take a look at whether soy is in fact estrogenic or not. And I will preface that with, yes, it is. Uh, and there's, but there's also lots of other things that we're coming into contact with. And this is particularly um, an important point, I think, if you're a male listening today, is that many of the environmental kind of toxins, um, some things that we are coming into contact with in our diet and in our lifestyle, are actually having a feminizing effect on the physiological level. And that physiology is intimately related with how we are kind of perceiving the world psychologically, our views on, on things. And, and we're kind of going to get into this a little bit um, in the show. And hopefully we can kind of reach some conclusions at the end. Yeah. But we'll see how that goes. So first of all, right, this concept, soy. Right. So there's a very popular kind of YouTuber. His name was uh, Paul Joseph Watson. And he actually, uh, he was one of the guys who kind of blew this up as well. He made a video about soy boys and um, cited some evidence, which was basically um, showing a correlation between soy intake and f feminine qualities in males, but also animal research. And there's quite a lot of it showing that soy is having an estrogenic effect on the cellular level. So it means that it's actually um, having an effect whereby it's activating certain receptors inside cells um, to have the same effect that the hormone estrogen would have. And estrogen is, I mean, I don't want to call it a female hormone because it's, uh, it's present in both males and females but it is uh, very much more predominant in females. It's a critical component of the menstrual cycle. Um, and so that's why we kind of refer it, refer to it as a female hormone. Anyway, so yeah, there's lots of research actually showing that by feeding male animals soy products, um, that you are actually having an effect where you're having this estrogenic kind of uh, influence on the cell. And so there's been lots of people who've spoken about this in the past, but since this meme kind of came out, and I think even before then somewhat, uh, there has been s certainly quite a lot of backlash, particularly from people, vegans, vegetarians, mm -hmm. and also I think from the big businessmen in agriculture. Um, so there've been many kind of journal articles which have come out, supposed scientific studies, meta-analyses and whatnot, which supposedly disprove any link between soy consumption and uh, feminization or estrogenicity. And so I just want to highlight, so, so there was one study, uh, it was a, a meta-analysis and it came out not long ago, it was two years ago. If I can just find it here, and it's called, um, and this was this is one of the studies that many of the kind of advocates for soy, vegan YouTubers, and and these kind of things, they will typically cite these studies um, in in support of the, of the fact that soy is actually a part of a healthy, balanced diet, and that we should all be eating more of it, and so. It's called Soy and Health Update, Evaluation of the Clinical and Epidemiologic Literature. And basically what this is concluding is that there is no 
um, estrogenic effect of soy. Soy is perfectly healthy. There are no adverse consequences. In fact, it's very beneficial for things like cardiovascular health. But then what, what we do is we actually go down to the bottom of the study and we look at who was funding it. And if I can just scroll down here, it turns out that... Oh, I've lost it. Right. Yeah. So the author of the study is the executive director of the Soy Nutrition Institute, <laughs> an organization funded by the United Soybean Board and its <laughs> soy industry members. So we can kind of get, you know, we can safely say that this, this cannot be um, cited as evidence. There's another paper as well that I, while, whilst I was looking at the videos and kind of um, rebuttals of the soy estrogen argument, people claiming that there's no issues. There's another paper, clinical studies show no effect of soy protein or soy isoflavones on reproductive hormones in men, results of a meta-analysis. So this is basically coming out and saying that they um, looked at the evidence for soy protein isolates, so soy supplements and things, on male reproductive hormones to test whether there was any effect on testosterone, um, sex hormone binding globulin, and all sorts of things. And, and they basically said that there's no connection whatsoever. But then if we go down to the bottom of this study as well, we see, okay, so who were they funded by? So the author is a doctoral student, received some funding from the Soy Nutrition Institute. Um, another one of the authors regularly consults for companies in the soy food industry. <laughs> so, yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Oh, it sounds completely trustworthy. <laughs> I think that sounds like yeah, that's, that's the God honest truth right there. I mean, this is, it's hardly anything surprising really. Um, the fact that, um, you know, soy is like, I, I, a lot of people don't really realize you know, they think, you know, of soy, they think of soy milk and tofu, and then that's about it. Thinking that, you know, if you don't eat those things, then you're not eating any soy. But they don't realize that the soy industry is massive, like billions of dollars massive. And there's soy in so much of the processed food, soy oil, you know, so soy protein isolates, so many additives and things like that are being derived from soy. Like it's, it is everywhere. And if you're not making an effort to actually keep it out of your diet, you probably are eating it. Not even to mention the amount that's being fed to livestock. So like soy is, is huge. So the idea that, um, you know, they would have an interest in not letting any kind of negative effects of soy consumption um, get publicized uh, is not surprising in the least. So, you know, before you tell us we should be wearing tinfoil hats and crying conspiracy theory and all this kind of stuff, it, it really isn't surprising. And the fact that there is a significant amount of science out there that does show an estrogenic effect, and yet there's these studies coming out and saying, no, 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 there isn't any, but they're sponsored by the, or funded by the, uh, the soy industry. It's like, you know, you got to take those kinds of things into account. Yeah, yeah totally. Um and I mean, as you've just said, um, just because you're not eating tofu doesn't mean that you're not consuming soy. I mean, if you look at practically any pr packaged food, especially in the United States, I mean, it's all soybean oil, you know, soy textured, modified protein, starch, whatever they call it. Yeah. It's, they'll rename it something. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a really prevalent thing. But then when we factor in, 
okay, so this is potentially having a very strong estrogenic effect. How is this affecting male physiology? Mm. Is this soy boy meme simply a meme or is it actually, is there something to this? Um, and it would seem as though, it seems as though there might be. Yeah. So when we look at testosterone levels, so testosterone is the male, it's known as the male hormone. Uh, again, it's not technically correct because mm. females do have some of it, but, but essentially it's, it's more predominant in males. And so it is responsible for things like building the musculature, you know, building the structure of the skeleton. Um, but it also has effects on the brain. So it can kind of testosterone is one of the main things which is driving the difference in neurodevelopment of the female and the male brain. Okay, so it's one of the primary factors which basically determines whether someone is going to have a female brain or a male brain is the testosterone. And that is going to basically form your kind of um, dig in neural pathways. It's going to have effects on the whole of the brain development and essentially kind of um, shapes uh, the, the male's perception of reality or how they are perceiving reality and 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 there are certain kind of neural structures which are clearly different in males than they are in females and it's hypothesized that this is actually at least partially responsible for some of the behavioral differences uh, the characteristic kind of um, male type behaviors that are displayed in children uh, for instance if you give and this kind of flies in the face of the politically correct kind of um, idea that males and females are fundamentally the same and that right. it's merely social influences which which shape us, which is complete nonsense because when you look at the neurobiology and how that maps with behaviors, children, boys will play with cars, children will play with dolls. Yeah, they, they, uh, sorry, girl, little girls will play with dolls. They, mm -hmm. you know, that's as a general rule that there are kind of biological underpinnings for this, and everything that comes after that in in the in the adolescence and in the kind of adult um, way of behaving. And so, when we factor in that we in in the past sort of 50 odd years because before that maybe 60 70 years before the 1950s we weren't coming into contact with so much soy with so many of the other factors which we're going to talk about later it's like okay these past couple decades we have just been exposed to so many of these gender bending chemicals these gender bending influences mm -hmm. surely that has had some effect on the way that males operate, the way that males kind of exist these days. Mm -hmm. When we look at testosterone, so testosterone since the 19, I think it's since the 1970s, testosterone has been gradually declining yeah. each year. Yeah. And lo and behold, we get to now, and suddenly there's the rise of this soy boy idea the idea you know and i mean you you can see it around like we've said it there there's there clearly is some validity to this idea that that men are becoming more um feminized in a lot of ways 
And maybe one of the things, we, maybe we should back up a little bit and just talk about, you know, why does soy have this effect? And I mean, the main, the, the reason that it, it's happening is there's, there are substances in soy called uh, phytoestrogens. And what that basically means is that there are certain compounds that mimic the effect of estrogen, mostly because they, they, their structure is very similar. So it will physiologically bind to estrogen receptors in the same way that estrogen does and will actually compete for um, estrogen receptors. Now, phytoestrogens, that phyto meaning plant, so plant estrogens, um, they're not just found in soy. They are found in other things. But soy is like so much higher than almost anything else. I think flaxseed is up there as well, and sesame seeds as well, um, although not the sesame seeds aren't as high. But the thing is that you don't eat, you know, like six ounces of flax seeds or sesame seeds in a, in a sitting, right? So most of our exposure, um, if we're getting any, like, you know, there's a little bit in other nuts and seeds and stuff as well, but the, but the, the amount of it is pretty minuscule. But, but soy is just, for some reason, for whatever reason, is like off the charts. Um, so phytoestrogens, I mean, there's other places, as, you know, Elliot uh, alluded to before, um, where we're going to come into contact with these false uh, estrogens or these estrogen mimickers. And that's uh, in xenoestrogens, which basically just means estrogens coming from, from outside uh, the body. And one of the places where we get a lot of this are from chemicals, like just uh, man-made chemicals um, that are used in everything from plastics to food ingredients to soaps and disinfectants. Um, it's just, it's, it's surrounding us. It's all over the place. And again, it just, it doesn't seem like it's a coincidence that, you know, once in around the 40s and 50s when the, the kind of chemical... Um, industry really started to rise and like more and more chemicals started getting uh, created and, and put into our environment. Um, it, it's, it just seems naive to think that that wouldn't have an effect on, well, on everybody, of course, um, but on men in particular. Um, and certainly, I mean, I think that that is what we're seeing. Yeah, and indeed, indeed, and on just just on on the topic of soy, I mean, there have been several, probably, I mean, I'd guess probably in the tens of thousands of cases of kind of adolescent gynecomastia mm. um, or adult gynecomastia um, from the consumption or the overconsumption of soy milk. Um, so babies who are put on soy soy milk formula it's been estimated that they are getting the equivalent dose of estrogen of as, you know, two to three birth control pills yeah. each day. Um, and that's a lot. And you have yeah. to think, okay, when you've got a developing child, I mean, especially a male one, a male child, and they are literally three or four months old and they are being pumped full of, this stuff, which is essentially having the same effect as a female hormone. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that is going to have such a disruptive effect on that whole child's development in terms of their body is getting mixed messages all of the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's no, there's no, there's no case in nature when a baby would have that much estrogen. No. Um, but Elliot, you have to you have to explain what gynecomastia is. 
Right, yeah, okay, sorry. So gynecomastia being male male boobs, male man boobs. Moobs. So, yeah, move <laughs> The deposition of kind of fatty tissue and it, where the nipple is to basically, and this isn't just in obese people. So, you know, it's typically associated with man boobs. He must be obese, but actually it's occurring in kind of seemingly fit and healthy individuals. Mm -hmm. You know, they're relatively lean on every other part of their body, but they've got like a set of boobs. Yeah. And so it makes you wonder what, what on earth is going on here? And it's no coincidence that the people who get this generally, they drink soy milk. Yeah, I mean, certainly there's other there's other um, factors that could come into it, but I think that I think that soy is is a big one. And you know, you mentioned Paul Joseph Watson before, and in his video, he was actually just showing all these examples of people who were essentially the prototypical soy boy, you know, making out calls out for like male feminism and you know, um, calling their opponents Nazis and all this kind of stuff, and then pulling up other tweets of theirs where it shows them like with their carton of soy milk, you know, or like drinking soy milk or having their soy latte from Starbucks and stuff like that. So, I mean, obviously that's not like a, a strong case by any sense, but uh, it's, it's still nonetheless kind of funny examples that like, you know, that there, there, there seems to be a correlation here. Indeed. Indeed. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, it's very interesting. I'll just comment what you've just said, Paul Joseph Watson, because he also made a connection. Another very interesting connection, actually, on kind of the prevalence of these overly feminine males who kind of tick all of the boxes, so to speak. Um, how, well, we know that Soy is estrogenic. We know that it can kind of increase feminization. We know it has a negative effect on testosterone. We also know that generationally speaking, or over the generations, testosterone has significantly declined and continues to decline. Um, so the modern male kind of in their mid-20s is going to have much lower testosterone than the their counterpart would have in the 1980s, okay? But there's a very interesting paper, and it's called Testosterone, Smiling, and Facial Appearance. And mm -hmm. so it actually makes – it was a, a study done on testosterone and how – basically what they were doing was they were – they had a panel of judges, and they had the judges um, basically measure different – men and their, 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 their facial features and the way that they smiled. Okay. So what they found was that, um, they found among men, the smiles of higher testo testosterone subjects showed less crinkling around the eyes and less upward and outward mo movement of the corners of the mouth so basically that they you know if you had high testosterone you were less likely to crinkle your eyes when you smiled and actually open your mouth fully um furthermore they they found that um yeah there was right so a very strong or full zygomatic arch 
or zygomatic mu- muscle contraction is negatively correlated with testosterone. Yeah, so basically, in, in simple terms, what they were saying was that guys who had really large kind of uh, flamboyant smiles, you know, like really large smiles, that they, they had lower testosterone. Whereas the guys who had higher testosterone had kind of much more subtle smiles and kind of straight faces. Mm. Now, it kind of, I mean, that it's just one study, but it kind of fits in with the what you would call a stereotype, right? Mm-hmm. So of the kind of, you know, manly, hunky guy who's, you know, like frowning almost with the broad chin and stuff. It's just, it's just what you think of as the kind of typical macho guy, isn't it? You don't yeah. really see him all smiling. And Paul Joseph Watson was basically making the correlation. All of the people who kind of fit the bill for the, um, for the soy boy who also drunk soy milk. When they took pictures, they, they also had these really large smiles. Yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. It, it kind of like, it seemed like, I mean, it kind of seemed just like a trend where they would like, they had this expression on their face with their mouth wide open and like smiling and like, it's kind of like, you know, this, this study, I have to say this study actually made me quite, quite self-conscious because I think I do have a very big smile and my eyes do tend to crinkle a lot. So it's kind of like, oh, maybe I'm a soy boy. I mean, I don't drink soy milk, but uh, maybe, maybe I need to get my testosterone levels checked because uh, that actually does. But the, the thing is the, the, I think the, the meme of it and they called it i can't remember what they called it like the new male smile like new spelt n-u the new male smile or the the soy boy smile or something like that and it was just kind of this expression that they'd have on their face that they were showing excitement and, and enthusiasm where they're just kind of like and there's like so many examples of these these kinds of uh uh people with these kinds of smiles on their faces trying to be excited about something like you know their their soy milk or something like that they're like ah and um yeah, so I think, but but it's really funny that that it can be correlated back to this study that actually found that you know the, that people with lower testosterone or men specifically with lower testosterone are are will take on these facial features a little bit more, and it really does fit the stereotype because that kind of expression is very sort of disarming or sorry, not disarming. It's like disarmed. It's kind of like, it's non-threatening. It's very kind of like, look at me. I'm, I'm soft. I'm approachable. I'm very um, agreeable. And, and that sort of thing. It's very much the opposite of, um, you know, somebody being uh, like dominant and like asserting themselves and, you know, not necessarily bad things. I mean, we can get into a discussion all about like the toxic masculinity thing, but uh, just, it, it does seem to conform to that kind of stereotype that the idea that, you know, somebody who does have this, this bright, broad smile is very um, non-intimidating, um, non-aggressive, soft, essentially. Soy boy. I mean, it's, again, it's just my personal experience, but ever since reading that study, you know, I've kind of been looking through, I've been looking through on my social media and it's kind of brought back some kind of memories as well. It it seems to, to fit in with my personal experience. There are those males who are, I mean, they are more feminine. Some, some people are naturally just more feminine or, Mm. uh, you know, perhaps they have wider kind of social networks, which are predominantly female. 
you know, that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying they're soy, bo- soy boys, so to mm-hmm. speak. But I would say that, you know, the, the more feminine males indeed typically present that image on pictures. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's just something that I have personally found. And so, yeah, again, so when we start factoring in, okay, so we've got these, we've got soy. <laughs> we know that that is having a, a really feminizing kind of influence on people. There are these xenoestrogens as well. Mm. So it's not just coming from the food. I mean, it can be coming from what the food is packaged in, for one. Mm-hmm. So we have phthalates or phthalates. phthalates I think that's yeah. How you, yeah, I mean, there's some, I mean, this has been known for a very long time. It's been, there's various researchers who have actually come right out and said that these things should be banned. So Mm -hmm. phthalates are a type of chemical which are used in um, plastics and they're to prevent like shattering. They're to provide it with bendiness and kind of malleability, so to speak. So like with a plastic bottle and a water bottle that would have phthalates in or like, um, yeah, like a milk bottle or something. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in, in our modern world, we, are surrounded by plastic everything that we kind of consume is touched plastic at some point so the chances are um i think most of the research studies have shown that the large majority of people are holding on to some amount of phthalates in their kind of adipose tissue or circulating in the blood or in the urine or something so it is there um it's been shown that phthalates are anti-androgenic and testosterone is an androgen so mm-hmm. what this means is is anti-testosterone um but it's also can be estrogenic as well so yeah uh, in a similar way to a phytoestrogen this one is a xenoestrogen but what this means is it's basically acting on a very similar mechanism whereby it's it's kind of you know acting on those estrogen receptors and having the same effect as the hormone would on the cell so it's giving the cell these messages that there are elevated levels of female hormones and that the cells need to respond to that in some kind of way um and so i mean it's not only in plastics but says um drugs nutritional supplements um binders yeah. emulsifiers gelling agents stabilizers lubricants and dispersants yeah. Um, and so they've, they've not only been animal studies showing that phthalates can essentially like twist the gender of, um, of fish and of like, um, I mean, in fish, I think that they can actually cause the, the fish to start producing eggs in their testicles. Yeah. Um, so it like was having about gender kind of- bending. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. And in, in rats, um, if I remember correctly, the, the phthalates were basically able to deform, cause deformities, like physical deformities in the vas deferens, in the seminiferous tubules, in the testicles, basically like tanking sper- sperm production. Yeah. So sperm production. And we know, aside from lower testosterone levels, sperm counts have tanked yeah. um, to what they were. They, are, they have tanked. And so this is another factor. And in fact, there was one really interesting study um, that I was looking at, and it was basically measuring the gender typical behaviors in children. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can't see it right now. I may have to come back to that. (coughs) Well, the, just about the, the phthalates, the just, 
a general overview of what they've found with it. Like it increased uh, the incidence of undescended testes and other genital birth defects, um, abnormal testicular function, including a higher than average incidence of infertility in adult males. It's associated with changes in gender specific behavior, such as exposed males choosing to play with traditionally boy typical toys less often, which is probably the study that you were talking about. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. So basically boys not acting in a way typical of the way that boys act, like young boys. I mean, like you were saying earlier, it's like, you know, there are um, behavioral differences between um, boys and girls uh, at a very young age. They'll start to develop. And the fact is that, that boys typically will pay, play in a, a more aggressive way. They like cars. They like guns. They like soldiers, that sort of thing. Whereas um, girls tend to like uh, dolls and stuff. And even when they try to enforce um, uh, more gender neutral play, the boys will still play with, you know, they'll, they'll take their doll, they've been given a doll, and they'll turn it into a gun and start using it as a gun. Or they'll start, you know, playing with it in a very kind of more, uh, like, aggressive kind of way, whereas girls will take their toy cars and start treating them, they make a little car family, and they start, like, having little social interactions between the cars. So it's like the, these kinds of things are kind of inset behaviors. You know, these things aren't arbitrary, despite... The trend now is to say that this stuff is all arbitrary and it's all um, just socially conditioned, that there's no biological basis to this sort of thing, but that's not the case. And when we see changes in that kind of thing, I mean, you know, the SJWs would probably cheer on that sort of thing. Well, good, you know, boys aren't playing with their typical boy-style toys, but th this is actually quite disturbing um, that these kinds of changes are happening. Yeah, indeed, because it it makes you wonder, okay, well, how is this, you know, if, if this has been established for many years and we have been kind of coming into contact with that for many years, then how is that, how is that altered or affected the kind of the way that, that men are in, yeah. you know, because because those men are now adults, mm -hmm. the children who were initially exposed to these kind of chemicals. I mean, they're still there it's more, more by the day, but essentially these males have grown into adults. So how has that had any effect? And then you start looking at the kind of madness that we see mm -hmm. on the kind of social political level. And it makes you wonder, I mean, <clears throat> now, when I mean, when we're talking about things like tra transgenderism, mm -hmm. something that was relatively, I mean, very uncommon just a couple decades ago, and there's lots of factors here, no doubt. I'm not just saying that it's gender bending chemicals, but when we kind of look at where we were 30, 40, 50 years ago, and then in today's world, where we're in a climate that is essentially trying to normalize mm -hmm. the idea of a biological male or female at a young age having sex change surgery. So actually having their genitals mutilated mm -hmm. and then taking exogenous kind of hormones to be able to artificially try and transition to the opposite sex. And that is somehow that has become so normalized now. Mm -hmm. And we're actually 
having kind of public health policy laws and things, education, many different aspects of our kind of education society are um, really molding to this new phenomena because mm-hmm. it is a new phenomena. It's like everyone is kind of just forced to accept that this is the new norm. So why is this the case? You know, is, is the fact that actually human beings have exposed themselves to such crazy chemicals this past, you know, sort of half century that actually is it having some kind of a a biological effect whereby it's skewing how we are perceiving our gender? Is that occurring in some people? Yeah. And I think that, that one of the interesting things about it is that it's kind of lauded, like it's kind of like encouraged and looked at as a good thing. Um, you know, the whole, uh, idea of this like toxic masculinity and that male male qualities are what what are traditional male qualities are looked at as as being bad and that it's actually a good thing that men are becoming kind of more feminized kind of softer um not aggressive you know passive that's kind of being looked at as as a good thing and it's, I, I find it really interesting, actually, because it's, it's like there are certainly people out there who are decrying the lack of um, kind of male role models and male um, standards. Like, where are all the real men? Where have all the real men gone? You know, and it's like it, it's kind of like what's being rejected is the, is the caricature, caricature of, of, a, of a man. Right. Like the idea that he's aggressive, intolerant, um, mm-hmm. grouchy, whatever, like. Those, those are kind of like, you know, warmongering. Like those, that's considered, you know, toxic masculinity. But it seems like all the good traits of, of masculinity are kind of being thrown aside as well and, and kind of it, it's it encouraged um, softening of men. Um, and yeah, I think that uh, the exposure to all these, you know, estrogens is probably um, goes a long way towards explaining that. Uh, explaining what exactly uh, is going on there, but I just find it very curious that um, that there aren't a lot of people out there who are disturbed by this. Um, it kind of seems like there's there's, I mean, it do, it does seem to kind of divide along political um, political lines. You know, it seems like the left is much more into encouraging this sort of thing and, and, um, is much more likes the idea of, of more feminized men. Um, whereas conservatives definitely seem to be more like, no, we need our man's man kind of thing. So yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy though. Yeah. I, I often wonder, these, I mean, okay, so if we look at like the modern fashion shows, mm. you know, it seems like there is a very, very real push to kind of tell us that this is the way that males should be behaving now. So, so I'll give you an example. So, for instance, you know, I was looking at, I think it was the 2018 or early 2019 fashion week. And you know what it seems like? It seems like the male catwalk models, the large majority of them were in like traditionally female attire. Yeah. So you had short skirts, you had weird kind of like frilly bras and just extremely feminine clothes. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, 
you had the opposite for females. So you had females, I mean, there were some in dresses, but I mean, some of them looked like they were meant to, they were designed to try and mimic guys. Mm -hmm. You know, it was really strange. And it seems like, okay, these ideas, you know, I mean, it even just seems like 10 years ago, this wouldn't have been, this wouldn't have been so acceptable. Mm -hmm. You know, people would have kind of, I could be wrong, but, I just feel like not long ago, people would have kind of outcried and said, what the hell is this? This yeah. is crazy. But now it seems like actually you have these ideas coming from up top, so to speak, but it's almost like the, the ground is already fertile. You know, the people are already kind of ready for that. And I think there's lots of factors involved there, like social kind of, ideological and mm -hmm. various things which kind of prime people to accept this kind of insanity. But ultimately I think one of those is also the biological or physiological effects of these chemicals. Yeah. And that actually, um, I mean, right. So this is not a very politically correct opinion. And in fact, I, I, um, I really commend the, the authors of this paper. Um, it's, it's one called Transgender Associations and Possible Etiology. And so basically, they've kind of been brave enough to come out and look at the evidence and kind of say, look, in the past 20 years, transgenderism has gone up through the roof. Now, it's not only social factors, like social factors can't be the only thing involved here. Mm -hmm. They just can't be, they can't explain it. There's got to be some kind of underlying reason. There's got to be something that, that we can kind of look at to help us understand why on earth this is occurring. Because it seems like it's, you know, it's just increasing ever more by the day. And so these scientists mm -hmm. have basically, they've reviewed the literature and they've come up with some interesting things. So, I mean, we've spoken about how um, trans, uh, sorry, about how certain chemicals or certain phytoestrogens in plants such as soy can have this kind of estrogenic effect. But in this paper, they're actually talking about other factors as well. So they do talk about the role of endocrine disruptors. Hmm. Um, and this is in... Um, you know, quite a, a well-renowned scientific journal. And they, they say about how, you know, another working hypothesis involves the role of endocrine disruptors in transgender etiology. Hmm. Um, they hypothesized a role for endocrine disruptors, especially phthalates. Phthalates are present, blah, 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 blah. Um, so what they're saying is that um, it's been suggested that these endocrine disruptors may actually affect the gestational environment. So the balance of hormones in the, um, in the womb, in uterus. And, and it's very interesting because they were talking about how, um, about how the brain and then the, the rest of the body will develop at different stages. So for instance, you can have, the development of, of, of a female body, but then if at a certain point during the pregnancy, there is significant kind of exposure to endocrine disruptors, some kind of surge of testosterone, surge of estrogen or whatever, then it can actually, it's 
it's theorized. I don't think it's been proven, but it's, it's theorized that actually you can have the development of a one gender in of, of the, of the rest of the, the body, but then uh, the development of the opposite gender of the brain and the nervous system. So you can essentially have a male body with a female kind of type brain in terms of its wiring, in terms of the way that it's structured and the way that it functions. And yet, so you've got the female brain born into the male body. Mm -hmm. And then with the fact that it's, becoming so normal these days and quite frankly so easy to make the transition um it's highly possible that actually one of the reasons why we're seeing this is the fact that our hormones are completely skewed out the window because we're exposed to all this crap yeah yeah and particularly the pregnant mothers being exposed to all this crap it's like high exposure at the wrong time during the pregnancy could could theoretically end up having this kind of effect now it's very like you said it's very politically incorrect to 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 kind of theorize in that way but i mean you know we are objective health and we try to be as objective as possible and the fact that there is such a boom in this um recently in the rise of transgender gender fluidity all this sort of thing like you know even 20 years ago this was not happening you know it was a very rare thing it was kind of the, the you know one in a million, probably more, you know? So it, the fact that it, it has been, and I, I don't think you can just kind of um, say, oh yeah, it's trendy. Like, I think there's something more going on there. So I, yeah, I think, um, I think that the, this theory is actually, um, there's some basis to it. It's not, it, it's not just kind of politically incorrect kind of, you know, theorizing. Yeah, and in today's kind of social climate, you know, you can be slaughtered in the public eye for even making such a claim. Yeah, uh, but that's not to say, you know, we, we're not we're not in any way um, slating transgenders. No, we're, we're saying that actually, you know, it's it's a it's a very strong possibility, and it's unfortunate for everyone um, because you know, it's it, if it's not going to affect the mother in pregnancy, then when we look at the effect that this is having on females even as well, these estrogenic influences, there have been mm-hmm. significant correlations with things like breast cancer. Yeah. Um, I mean, premenstrual syndrome is practically the norm among like almost every single female. Um, I mean, you've got polycystic ovaries, you've got all of these different female hormonal disorders and probably metabolic disorders as well, which are related to estrogen. Um, and so it's, you know, it seems to be affecting everyone. Um, but specifically the role of, aside from the, the xenoestrogens and these phytoestrogens, I think also is the fact that Males are generally so malnourished these days as well, or I think they, the whole population, we're, uh, particularly in the Western world, we live on a diet predominantly made up of grains and sugar mm-hmm. and um, processed foods, less animal products, and the animal products that we do eat are likely processed and mixed in with all of these grain flours, soy flours, all of this kind of stuff. Um, and that when you look at 
testosterone, when you look at kind of having a healthy, robust set of sex, sex steroid hormones, one, you need cholesterol. Mm-hmm. Two, you need zinc and you need other minerals. You need B6. You need lots of the B vitamins. Right. If I mean, these things is practically epidemic that these things are, are really new, uh, deficient mm-hmm. um, because we, we've moved away from traditional diets. We've had all of the actual nutrition taken out of the diet. Um, and, you know, the grains, the phytic acid, I mean, it's taken half of the zinc. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, our, our ability to actually counteract this because when you're having all of this estrogenic influence, it's very much anti-testosterone. But if you can kind of boost up your testosterone, then that can somewhat kind of mitigate the effects. It can somewhat displace estrogen. It can somewhat kind of counteract that effect. But, you know, if if people are are generally so bereft of nutrition, then they're going to have a hard time making their own hormones anyway. Yeah. So I think that's probably involved as well. I think it definitely is. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, it's funny that you mentioned grains because, well, actually, I've got a list here of um, Dr. Anthony J's uh, top list of estrogenics. Uh, Dr. Anthony J is um, a guy, he wrote a book called, um, uh, what was it called again? Estrogeneration, how estrogenics are making you fat, sick, and infertile. Um, so anyway, he has a, um, a list of kind of his top 10 um, list of estrogenics. So number one is the phytoestrogens, uh, like soy, flax, lavender actually is on that list. Cannabis also, oddly, is also on that list. Um, now, I remember he did uh, kind of say that uh, there are some medicinal effects of cannabis. So obviously, every different situation is going to require... Um, that you kind of, you know, weigh the good against the bad there. Um, but the one thing that reminded me of this actually, uh, Elliot, is that you mentioned grains, and he was talking about mycoestrogen, which is basically fungus and mold that can have um, properties, uh, estrogenic properties. And he was saying that um, grains actually harbor this when they're stored. So when they take grains and they um, put them in like silos to be stored. Um, it can develop this mold or this fungus that actually has these uh, estrogenic effects. So, you know, we talk a lot about kind of eliminating grains from the diet on this uh, show, and this is actually just yet another um, reason why that would be a good idea. Um, Number three on his list is atrazine. Atrazine is actually one of the most common herbicides used in the U.S. It's actually, uh, thankfully, banned in most of Europe. Um, I'm not sure where it's at in Canada, but uh, there is actually like a strong correlation between um, where atrazine is heavily sprayed and where you find the most um, kind of egregious examples of obesity in the U.S. Um, it seems like there's like there there's you know you can kind of um, correlate those very well. Now you can't necessarily say that that's causation, but um, certainly it's worth looking into. Um, but atrazine is another uh, xenoestrogen as well. Triclosan um, and alkylphenols, which are both found in soaps. Um, triclosan, I think, was it was banned in the U.S., um, but they they allowed it in some things. One of them being Colgate Total. For some reason, Colgate Total like uh, convinced them that um, having triclosan in their toothpaste. 
um, the the good outweighed the bad and that they should be allowed to keep it in there and and the FDA actually uh, agreed with them so it's it's for the most part banned but you can actually it still is in some products um, benzophenone and 4-methyl benzyl iodine camphor um, so BP and 4-MBC those are found in sunscreens um, Number six on his list was red number 40. So that's the artificial red uh, coloring agent. Um, so you find that in like processed foods, candies, those sorts of things. That's estrogenic as well. Parabens, which are found in fragrances. And unfortunately, on the labels of most things, all they ever put is fragrance. They don't actually tell you that parabens are in there. So that can be a difficult one to actually avoid. Uh, phthalates, as we already spoke of, you find it in plastics. Uh, BPA is another one that's found in plastics. Um, it's, uh, yeah, you find it, I think it's another one that's kind of makes the plastic more malleable and things like that. And um, they've, a lot of times, the the most uh, insidious thing about this is that actually a lot of products will say BPA free on them, but they've actually just started using something called BPS, which is more or less the same thing. So BPA free, they're just using BPS. So you got to watch out for that as well. And the last one that he had on his list, number 10, was the birth control pill, which is EE2 or 17-alpha-ethanolestradiol. Um, but yeah, so anyway, that, that that's kind of his list of the top ones. It's certainly not an exhaustive list because there are other xenoestrogens out there. But just from looking at this list and thinking about how many of these things that we're exposed to regularly, daily, hourly, it's it's kind of scary, um, so it's not any wonder that we're all turning into lady boys. <laughs> and I mean, you've you've got you've got that kind of attack on the on the biological male. Yeah, you've got the attack on our biology, but and at the same time, from all other from all other. Uh, areas you've you've got you've got the kind of you've got the guilt associated with being male as well on many of the fronts you've got you've got people or kind of ideologues who will try to who have kind of fermented a culture or a way of thinking which kind of views all things male all things kind of masculine as inherently toxic mm-hmm. and and as you said they, they've kind of taken the caricature of a male all of those bad the things that people associate with um with bad things aggression violence yeah grouchiness laziness selfishness you know these kinds of things um and they've kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater almost I think many people have because actually when we look at real masculinity, that it, it's got a bad rap. In fact, masculinity that the, there is a whole other side to that and it's actually a, a driving force and it has been a driving force throughout the history of humanity mm-hmm. um, in that there are positive attributes that are typically masculine, that there are useful adjuncts to society they are necessary for the growth of a community of a growth of a family protecting 
the family, protecting yeah. the loved ones, um, you know, seeking kind of putting yourself in danger, risking your life for the ones that you love and care about for your, for your community, you know, going to war, for instance, mm -hmm. against the tyrant to protect the people back at home, building, you know, having the innovation, hunting, yeah. going to hunt for the tribe, uh, you know, climbing up a tree for some kind of bounty in a very dangerous situation, having the kind of, yeah, the, 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 the drive to, to, to venture into dangerous territory and actually take risks. Mm -hmm. These are all the masculine qualities which are completely disregarded. Yeah. And in fact, this is what we seem to have lost. Assertion, you know, dominance, but for, for the good cause, mm -hmm. actually saying no when, you know, standing up against tyranny, for instance. Mm -hmm. And do we see this in today's society? Yeah. I mean, no. <laughs> no. no. We, we see flaccid, flaccid complacence, yeah. you know, um, uh, virtue signaling, but there's nothing behind it in that we have spawned or produced a, a generation, and it's my generation, I'm afraid. I'm sorry. You know, I feel it's... It's an unfortunate thing, but my generation is essentially, um, we lack those qualities mm. very much so. And actually the ability to speak out, to speak the truth when it needs to be spoken um, against things like atrocities being committed, um, you know, across the world, you know, by US foreign policy and whatnot, people speaking out when, it, when, when, when they're required to. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's I, I don't I don't think it's just your generation certainly I think it's something that's actually been um, the, the complacency seems to have been, been kind of growing more and more and more as each kind of subsequent generation um, takes over um, and you know maybe somebody should plot that out against the the rise of kind of xenoestrogens just to to see if there's actually a correlation there um, but um, I was just going to go into what do you what do you think an individual can do um to kind of help with this? I mean, obviously the best thing to do is to try and avoid exposure to xenoestrogenic things. I mean, don't eat soy would be like kind of the number 1. Um but, you know, avoiding kind of chemicals and things like that, looking for products that are kind of more natural, are using essential oils instead of fragrances, trying to use glass instead of plastic like there you know there's whole there's a whole culture around that like trying to avoid these kinds of um toxic things you know understanding of course that you can't be perfect um we are literally surrounded by this stuff all the time but the most you can kind of minimize your exposure the better um another thing that we didn't mention actually is that bpa they actually put those in receipts in store receipts I don't think yeah. that every that every um, store is using receipts that has those in it, but um, I've seen cashiers actually wearing gloves. Um, I presume it's because of the BPA in in the receipts, because uh, um, you know you figure if a, a cashier is handling like hundreds of those a day, um, and it does actually absorb through the skin. So these are kinds of things for for sort of avoiding this kind of stuff, but. 
Um, there's also a few things that you can do to kind of boost testosterone. Um, intermittent fasting actually increases testosterone. It increases testosterone and it also um, increases uh, androgen receptor sensitivity. So it actually makes it so that you're not only producing more testosterone, but you your receptors are actually more sensitive to the testosterone that you do have. So even if you are kind of exposed to these xenoestrogens, the fact that your own, um, your receptors are kind of more uh, sensitive to the testosterone that you do have is going to help. Um, red meat. Red meat is yeah. high in carnitine. And carnitine also increases androgen receptor sensitivity. So um, I think that, you know, the stereotype of the soy boy that he's like this vegan... I mean, it seems like there's some truth to that. Red meat has carnitine. Red meat increases the uh, the receptivity of uh, androgen receptors, or sorry, the red meat sensitivity. Has zinc. Yeah, red meat zinc has zinc. To make testosterone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, weight training is another good one. Um, it increases uh, free testosterone and again um, helps with androgen receptor sensitivity. And another one I had down here was manganese, because uh, apparently manganese, if you do it in kind of a, a cycled manner, um, it will actually release luteinizing hormone, releasing hormone, which also helps to increase testosterone. Um, but apparently you do <clears throat> get, uh, what's the word, uh, sensitized to it. Um, it'll stop having as much of an effect after a while. So they say to, to kind of, Tim Ferriss has a whole protocol on it, actually. And apparently you kind of cycle it, um, and that can be helpful. Right. I've got a couple of things to add to that. Mm. Um, one is uh, actually interesting, phosphatidylserine. Mm. So that you see there's a very um, kind of strong negative correlation between cortisol and testosterone. So generally, if there is hypercortisolism, so someone is under a state of chronic stress, physiological stress, emotional stress, whatnot, and there's kind of um, high levels of the stress hormone cortisol, then that will actually have an effect to desensitize um, the testosterone receptor. So you become actually less sensitive to testosterone. Um, so it can't exert its effects as it would usually. It actually uh, downregulates the production of testosterone by the Sertoli cells in the testicles. So essentially, um, yeah, it's having multiple different effects at different kind of levels. So it's shutting off feedback, but it's also having a, like a direct effect on the receptor and also an effect on the production of the testosterone. So phosphatidylserine is one of those things. I mean, it's a phospholipid. Um, you know, you find things, you find it in small amounts in things like egg yolks and stuff, but this is in quite high dose. Can't remember the dose. I think it's 300 milligrams, mm. uh, 300 milligrams phosphatidylserine once or twice a day. That has been shown to reduce cortisol. So it's what people use when they're like under chronic stress, but it's also been shown to improve testosterone or increase testosterone. There's also, um, zinc, which can be supplemented I mean, if you're not eating a lot of red meat, I would just eat loads of red meat. But if you're not eating a lot of red meat, then you can actually supplement with a small amount of zinc. I wouldn't go too high because that can kind of Im that can cause imbalances with copper. I would stick at like five milligrams, five milligrams of zinc once a day. Um, now that has been shown to improve testosterone. 
generally in most of the studies. There's also another thing which I'm yet to try out, but I'm going to try out very soon, is actually um, you, you using red or near-infrared light. So actually, uh, Ben Greenfield and um, Mike Mutzel, they've both done these experiments. And this has been shown in the clinical research, but it's good to have this kind of first-hand experience, is that actually it's been shown that after 60 days of shining red or near-infrared light, and it has to be a proper one, so you want to use one of the kind of good companies to do it. Uh, red or near-infrared light shine directly onto the testicles um, <laughs> for 15 minutes per day, um, increase testosterone once by twice, by double, and the other one by triple. So wow. triples and double testosterone. I think it tripled Ben Greenfield's testosterone, doubled Mike Motzel's, uh, and then in the research, generally, it's it's sort of doubles. Um, but that is consistent. So it can have that much of an effect if you do it consistently for at least a month or 60 days. Um, another thing that, right, just before that, you're talking about what can we do about things like BPA? Yeah, the cash, cash registered, I mean, cash register receipts, it's theorized that actually one of the main sources of exposure may actually be our skin. So transdermal, what because um, it was once thought we absorbed loads through the gut, but actually some of it's passed out into the feces, not all of it's absorbed. Whereas when it goes onto your skin, majority of it's absorbed. So, you know, if you're someone who's working at a cash register or something, then yeah, you want to use some gloves or something. But there are some things that you can do ideally to actually uh, help your body to detox it. So most of these things are actually lipophilic, which means that they are um, attracted to your adipose tissue. Okay. So because they're attracted to your adipose tissue, it's, I mean, it's safer for you to store them in the adipose. So for instance, you, you don't want to store them in the organs because it could cause serious damage. Whereas if you, um, if you store it in the adipose tissue, then it's safely stored away, not very metabolically active, and you can kind of keep it where it needs to be. <clears throat> so what you can actually do is provide your body with the necessary tools to mobilize that. So one of those is going to be sweating. Okay, so sweating is a very effective method to get rid of BPA, okay? What happens when you raise body temperature, you raise metabolism. When you raise metabolism, you raise the rate at which enzymes start to function, okay? What this is doing is it is actually liberating all of these lipophilic toxins, all of these lipophilic compounds from your adipose tissue, and they are either going to go into circulation or they're going to go out through the sweat. So when you measure someone's sweat in the research, Sweat is a very kind of um, rich, um, it's a rich source of metals and BPA and phthalates and all of these plastics. And it shows that your body can effectively get rid of that through the sweat. But then, so for instance, if you can do exercise, you know, try and get really hot, really sweaty, do a sauna. If you're going to do a sauna, fantastic. But ideally, you want to have a cold shower afterwards or jump into a cold pool, but at some point you want to be washing your skin off with soap because that stuff is lipophilic. It means it can be reabsorbed if it stays on your skin. So when you sweat it out, you don't want to reabsorb it. You want to wash it off immediately. 
going into some cold water, either in like a cold pool or into a cold shower. What this is going to do is actually going to close off your pores, make it less likely that that stuff is going to be able to absorb very quickly back into your skin. Mm. Okay. Furthermore, what you can do is use something like Epsom salts baths. What Epsom salts baths actually do is you're going to get really hot and you're going to get really sweaty. Uh, it's going to do the same thing, kind of liberate all of this stuff. But essentially, the Epsom salts baths, you, you're providing your body with magnesium, but you're also providing a very rich deposit of, of sulfate, uh, inorganic sulfate, which is a, a mineral that you're essentially using in one of the phase two detoxification pathways in the liver called sulfation. And sulfation is actually one of the ways that you are able to get rid of BPA. BPA can be sulfated, but many of these other things can be sulfated as well. So what you do in the liver is you take the sulfate, you bind it to these toxins and you carry it out into the bile. Okay. So an Epsom salt salts bath is fantastic. If you're going to do something like this, you know, sauna, Epsom salts bath, you know, heavy exercise, I would recommend taking some bentonite clay and some charcoal 10 to 15 minutes before, because if, if you're going to be kind of dumping anything and it's going to potentially be going into the bile, into the gut, then you want to bind that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, what else? BPA. Ah, um, glutathione is apparently quite good for getting this stuff out as well. Hmm. So glutathione, um, glutathione bitters and binders. So herbal bitters such as, um, such as like uh, Swedish bitters, you can use Swedish bitters because what they do is they actually activate the gallbladder to push the bile. So if you're taking something like glutathione, you take that first, you take glutathione. What you're going to do is you're going to kind of um, prep the liver. You take the bitters to activate liver kind of the, the bile flow into the gallbladder and gallbladder to flush it into the gut. And then you take a binder sort of half an hour, 40 minutes after, and you're going to bind all of those bile acids, carry it out into the feces. So that's one of the common protocols that they use for getting things like plastics out, but it's a very long process, mm. but yeah, there's lots you can do about it. Well, it's good. Yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> On that front, that's uh, <laughs> that's that's all that comes to mind. Have you got anything else there to add, Doug? No. Anything else I you want to talk about? I think we've I think we've covered our the soy boy topic. Yeah. So, in conclusion, it's never good to be a soy boy. <laughs> okay, in conclusion, you know that. There seems to be a direct link between soy consumption and male feminization and estrogenic factors. There seems also, it's not only soy, it's just a wide variety of chemicals that we're coming into contact with these days. Um, we can't escape them. What we can try to do is boost testosterone because we know that testosterone is depleted in our modern world. We know that actually, well, there seems to be a correlation between feminization and um, and perhaps many of the kind of things that we're seeing today in, in society, the way that men are behaving, the, the lack of kind of real genuine masculinity, the lack of kind of um, what some people might describe as 
know, real men, so to speak. Um, it seems like the genders are becoming um, mixed in many ways. And actually, it seems like that's ultimately manifesting in, in some cases, at least as actual transgenderism, um, because there seems to be some evidence that actually these chemicals, these estrogenic factors in the womb may be having an effect which is actually kind of producing a, a, a a bi-gendered or transgendered kind of physiology. So, um, yeah, I think that that's, that's all for today then folks. Um, try and, uh, do what you can lift some weights, uh, avoid the plastics, try do some of the things that we said, learn about this and, um, and yeah, Stay healthy. Stay healthy. Yeah. <laughs> I'll uh yeah, I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning see you next in. Next week, guys. Bye.